Um, I read this on Twitter this morning. It says, let all preachers remember the Duke of Edinburgh's wise words concerning his famous dislike of sermons that go on too long. Duke of Edinburgh said, the mind cannot absorb what the backside cannot endure. Um, so let's pray uh, for help for you to listen for me to succinctly help us see the glory of the church and what it is in, let's say, half an hour. So let me pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you so much for the church. Thank you for this church. Um, as Langs has said, we do pray that this series, uh, that tonight, se series and series sound very similar. So my computer just got very confused during that prayer. Um, we do pray that you may help us to listen, uh, help us to delight in the church and see you clearly tonight. Amen. I'm now nervous of saying anything which sounds like S-I-R-I. -I. Here we go. Uh, let's have a flawed experiment. Um, I want you to imagine uh, that for a year, the church stopped gathering. It just stopped meeting. We stopped seeing each other. Um, we didn't meet to hear God's words. We didn't meet to sing praises to him. We just didn't meet. Not just on Zoom meeting. We literally did not meet. I wonder what difference that would make to your life to our life now slightly different what about if we stopped celebrating communion nothing was announced it just stopped all goes on as before we gather we sing we listen to god's word home groups continue growth groups continue but communion never happens how long do you think it'd be before you noticed what difference would it make to your life to your life our life together as a church will we miss it i'm slightly laboring the point about why we're doing this series now because there are some aspects of our church life i seriously cannot say the word series otherwise my computer goes into a meltdown um, there are some aspects of our church life which are important uh, integral you could say as lang said which we rarely speak about teach about or talk about maybe questions we're going to look at this next few weeks such as what is communion and why do we celebrate it what is about baptism what is church membership why is that so important what about church discipline would that ever be something we practice and but today as a church we're going to start right back at the beginning why do we gather as a church and my, my answer to that we're going to see from the bible hopefully is we gather for god's glory our good and before the watching world for god's glory our good and before the watching world it's important to answer these big questions if we stop and think and see what the bible has to say because hopefully it will give us a greater appreciation and understanding and ultimately a greater joy and a love for our lord as we see the wonderful gifts he's given us his church and the wonderful gifts he's given us to, to partake of at church and these questions are age-old and they're really important but i think they're also heightened now as lang said we're deliberately doing this series in the I think it's six weeks before God willing, we will be back together at Longfields, meeting together in the same physical space. That's why we're doing it right now. And it, it's worth me saying, if you're not often here, um, if maybe you've only come a few times and you're so very, very welcome, this isn't how we would normally preach on a Sunday. Normally for 90% of our series, we'll take just one passage of the Bible, we'll go through it, we'll teach it. But for the next six weeks, we're going to focus on these aspects of the church. So we will dive in and out of a few different passages. Ephesians 3, we'll look at a little bit, but we'll also be in a few different places. But like I said, it's important we're doing it now for a couple of reasons. Um, one, I think in light of the potential temptation as life opens up 
to maybe drift away from the church gathering, to see maybe it as a lovely option in the midst of family and holidays and actually having people inside. And, and as things open up, there will be a temptation there. I think also as well, as, as Lang said, in light of the joyful time we had last week at Easter, which if you're anything like me, and I know from speaking some of you to some of you, it was both amazingly joyful and completely unsatisfactory. <laughs> Seeing people, but not being able to speak to each other, humming instead of singing, unless you're Langs, walking out and, and not leisurely mingling after a Sunday gathering. But, but also there was a real joy, wasn't there? Being able to physically share communion together on Good Friday for the first time in over a year. I think if we've not struggled at all with church being just online, if we've sensed maybe little difference, then maybe our thinking about church could do some shoring up. And that's why we're looking at this series now. I had a good friend at uni, a housemate. In our third year, he started asking lots of questions about Jesus, about the Bible. He'd occasionally come to church with me. He did a Christianity Explore course. Uh, we read the Bible together. He listened to sermons in his room and Around the middle of a year after a talk about the resurrection at our university events week, he said he trusted in Jesus. He then came to church with me and uh, occasionally. But from that point on, he actually mainly decided just to listen to sermons in his room from some well-known biblically sound preachers. He said the preaching at the church I was going to wasn't as good or as intellectual for him. It didn't answer the questions in the ways the ones he found online did probably in some ways exactly right when you can pick and choose exactly what sermon to listen to each week that's very different from attending a church which will choose what it preaches on he said the people were odd and so different to him he didn't like them very much he didn't get on with them again quite possibly correct <laughs> we were a bit odd different people altogether from different backgrounds will be i'm sure we are my friend left uni at the end of that year having never got stuck into and committed to a local church. I used to visit him when I first moved to Vista. He'd moved to Birmingham uh, for a while. We, we talked. He still listened to some sermons. He read some books, but he deliberately never joined a church. Within about six months, he'd stopped believing altogether. Now, he'd definitely not call himself a Christian. He won't speak to me. It's incredibly sad. Friends, if you sense anything of yourself in that, a feeling of maybe I... I like Jesus, but I don't like this church thing. Maybe, unlike my friend, you maybe could say, I admire the church. I like what it does. We've seen lots of that around the pandemic. I like what it does, how it serves the community. But I don't want to join the church. We'll look at membership later. Then I want to say that's a real concern and something you need to think really seriously about. It's a concern because if you don't like the church, then you may not actually really like Jesus. 1 John 4, verse 20, Jesus, uh, this is, John saying, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Acts 20 verse 28 tells us the church was bought with God's own blood. That is how God views and delights in the church, despite its inevitable fallibilities and problems. Of course, there are fallibilities and problems. But if we're to be followers of God, we will love the church. It's to be a real gift for us. We're going to look at three big questions this week as we lay the groundwork. They overlap. They weave in and out. Hopefully there'll be some clarity for you as we go through them. And it should have give us should give some structure as we look at some three sort of big, broad questions as we start our series. Firstly, what is church? I wonder how you define it to your friends. 
I wonder how your friends would define it. Would they maybe say it's, it's like a social club, just like joining a sports club? Or maybe it's, um, yeah, religious enthusiast society. Maybe it's a bit like just going to the pub, but you go with people who like to drink wine out of really, really tiny shot glasses once every few weeks. Well, there are lots of definitions floating about. Um, there's loads of places we could go, but we're going to go to the Bible. We're going to go to a few of the Bible's definitions. There's loads of metaphors, loads of ways the, the Bible talks about the church. But firstly, we're going to look at what it talks about, the body of Christ. We saw that in Ephesians. Paul speaks of how we're all members of one body. He says that throughout. If you read Ephesians 2 to 4, we could have read all of it. Uh, there's lots of places we go. But he talks about how we're a body, a body of people. And that's really important because it's important to recognize that God's plan has always been to display his glory, display his magnificence through a, a group, through a people. We saw it in Ephesians 3 when Gleds read his intent was that the church would uh, would be the manifold wisdom of God through the church. The manifold wisdom of God would be made known through the church, not just necessarily through individuals. We, we live in an individualistic society. Uh, we think about ourselves first. It's a particularly Western trait that we don't think of others and family structures and uh, groups. We think of ourselves. But God has always saved a people. In creation, we see him create two people who can make more people. At the time of Noah and the flood, we see God save a few families. With Abraham in Genesis 12, he promises Abraham his descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. In the Exodus, God didn't just deal with Moses. He dealt with the nation of Israel, thousands of people with one corporate identity. God saved a people. How does that relate to the church? Well, through Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that Israel pointed towards. There is no longer a particular nation, but in the New Testament, the people of God are now called by the name church. The actual Greek word for church doesn't really match our English one in its usage. We use church to talk about buildings, to talk about the institution as a whole, to talk about the universal church. But the word ecclesia, as Lanks hinted at, it means assembly or gathering, a group of people gathered together. It, it can be used to describe a single local church or all Christians everywhere, the universal church. And the church we see in the book of Acts, we're going to look at the book of Acts pretty intensely in our next series after this which is exciting we see the church established by the apostles well established by christ and then followed through by the apostles uh, how people gathered under the apostles teaching they shared communion they prayed together they shared life with one another the church is a body what else do bodies do well if you have got ephesians open ephesians 4 verses 15 and 16 we said see it says here instead speaking the truth in love we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Bodies grow. They get fed. They fight disease. Every member of the body is invaluable to the whole. And we are a body with Christ as our head. Every part builds up the others relies on the other you not being here at church for a consistent period of time would weaken the body if you've committed to being part of it megan hill uh, has written a book uh, i don't know who she is but she's written a very good book about the local church she said this she said belonging to the church will always increase our obligations and decrease our independence and this is good 
I agree. In 1 Corinthians 14, I'd maybe encourage you to read that later. It's a passage which talks most about what the church should do when it gathers. And again and again and again, we see it four, five, six times. It says the purpose is to build one another up, to grow as a body, to build one another up. And, and the picture shows us that when we gather, edifying and encouraging each other should be at the center of the church's gathering, like a spiritual workout for the body. Our church membership document puts it like this. We say this as one of the commitments you make if you become a member of our church. We'd encourage you strongly to do that if you're not yet a member and you trust in Christ. It says this, you express your commitment to the other members of the church and to the life of the church as we seek to live in community with each other. Mark Ashton, who's a pastor in Cambridge, writes that it is the privilege and responsibility of every Christian to teach others about God and to live and work in the world for God. There is no greater task. We highly value people who become members of the church and serve in the corporate activity of the church, but more importantly, are committed to gospel living and gospel speaking with each other and the people of Vista. Like a body held together with Christ as the head, growing and building itself up in love as each part does its work. The body. Another picture we see is a holy temple. A holy temple. God, he is, of course, everywhere. That's clear in the Bible. He's omnipotent, omniscient, whichever one it is. He's everywhere. He's absolutely everywhere. But at every stage in the Bible storyline, God does make his presence specifically manifest amongst his people. Or in a particular place in the Old Testament, first in the Garden of Eden, the first temple, then in the tabernacle in the wilderness. If you remember our series in Leviticus, the Holy of Holies, then in Israel's temple and then in the fulfillment of the temple, Jesus. And finally, Paul tells us he is especially present in all those who are united to his son, Jesus. Paul tells us that each one of us, each one of our individual bodies, if we're in Christ, is a temple of the spirit. But he also teaches collectively we have a temple. 1 Corinthians 3 says, do you not know that you, plural, you, are God's temple and the spirit dwells in you? Just before our passage read in Ephesians 3, Ephesians 2, in him, in Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Unlike in the Old Testament, it's not a specific place or a building that we come to to experience God's presence. It is the local congregation of his people. Jesus himself says, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. What are some of the implications of this maybe for us? Well, a church service isn't primarily for you or for me to have a souped up quiet time. It, it's a place for me to meet God as I meet with his spirit filled people. Church service also isn't a place to be anonymous. It's quite good. We've got names here. Helps. Church isn't to be like a cinema with the lights laid low. A church, we warmly greet each other. It's one thing we long to be back doing at Town Church. If you've not been to our gatherings before, we highly value good refreshments. We don't just do that because we like good food, although we do. We do that because we value being with one another encouraging one another chatting to another greeting each other one by name hearing the voices of our brothers and sisters together as we sing those whom the world might divide by race or class or nationality we gather together we stick around we speak with one another we're united together in christ as his people thirdly another thing of what is the church is an outpost 
of the kingdom of heaven, an outpost of the kingdom of heaven. Our gathering today, our church should demonstrate how we are distinct from the world, how we're distinct from the world. A few years ago, I was invited to a gathering of Syrians who had moved to England as refugees. Uh, arriving there in a sort of town hall, there were some amazing smells of Middle Eastern food that brought along. Arabic was being spoken freely. Music from Syria was being played. Here was a beautifully distinct group of people on foreign soil. As I went in, I felt both like an outsider and I was utterly attracted to the gathering. I wanted to learn more about their culture, their food. I wanted to hang out with them. In a similar way, a church service is a gathering of exiles who all belong to the same heavenly country. Peter tells us that in his, uh, in his letter, we're exiles, foreigners in many senses, just as Israel in the Old Testament was one nation witnessing to God's rule amongst many other nations. Now the church occupies that role. The church is a preview of the new creation to come. It's like a, a movie trailer, a flawed movie trailer for what God's kingdom on earth will look like on the final day. What does that mean for how we approach church each Sunday? Well, it means when we gather, we gather as ambassadors of our king, not consumers. Our goal as we gather is not to entertain or just to get exactly what we need from it, but it's to honor our king and make him known. It also means our gatherings may at times seem a little bit foreign, a bit odd to those who aren't yet Christians. I don't apologize for that. We, a church is countercultural because we are exiles gathering on foreign soil. We'll talk about preaching communion and baptism in weeks to come. It, it doesn't mean we don't actively welcome and encourage people like me in that Syrian gathering, those who aren't yet Christians to join us. It's the opposite we see. We want to make everything intelligible and understandable so they can see the wonderful truth of what's going on. But it, it will seem a bit odd. It will seem a bit different. We are an outpost of the kingdom of heaven. Those are three pictures. The church has, uh, the Bible has more pictures. Those are three pictures of what the church is. Slightly linked in, as I said, these questions do slightly overlap. What is church like? What is church like? Well, uh, the Nicene Creed was written over 1600 years ago. Uh, it summarized well as the church fathers defined the church. They studied the Bible, they looked and they wanted to have some clarity. If you say it, you may recognize this if you ever said the Nicene Creed, which if you've been to an Anglican church, you, you may well have done quite, quite a lot. It says the church is one, it is holy, it is universal and it is apostolic. And here's the key point as we look at the bigger picture of what is the church. The key point is the church is like God. As the church, we are to reflect his character and look like him. We show him off to the world, displaying his glory as we gather together as the church. Firstly, one, how are we doing in our unity? Are we united? God is one, Father, Son and Spirit fully united. The church is to be one because God is one. Another picture of a church Helen really helped us to see this morning is a family. She took us to Acts 2. And the early church, where again and again, it showed how they did life together, united. In John 17, Jesus prays for the church to be united as he is with the Father and the Spirit. In Ephesians 4, we see Paul say, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. He's particularly writing about Jews and Gentiles being reconciled. Megan Hill again writes in her book, she says, like the members of our biological family, we haven't chosen them for ourselves, our church member family, but they have been chosen for us and we are therefore inseparably bound to them. 
because we're allied with Christ, we are allied with his family. Our family loyalty ought to make disunity unthinkable. We're a family. Is that how we appear to the world, to our friends, to, to Bista as inexplicably united as a family? Or can anything else explain it? The challenge maybe as well, is there anyone you need to seek unity within our church? One, holy, holy. The, the church is to be holy because God is holy. Remember, again, the church reflects who God is and what he's like. How, how are we doing in our holiness? If you've trusted in Jesus and amazingly, God has declared you holy in Christ. Yes, he treats us as holy, even if we're not. But at the same time, he's making us holy by his spirit. But both the Old and the New Testaments then emphasize the importance of God's holiness and his peoples as they then reflect him. Ephesians 4 verse 1, in light of this, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Are we a people here at Town Church marked by holiness? Holiness, God's holiness distinguishes us from the world around us, not because we're strange or just odd, although we may be, but, but in view of how we view and respond to things which are loved and popular in the world, but should not be loved and popular by Christ's people. Is there a goodness, is there a rightness which typifies us? Are we holy? Universal then. Uh, in the original creed, the word used is Catholic, a small c Catholic. It means universal. Universal because God is the Lord of all the earth. The church stretches out across space and time. It's for all nations, not just ours. And it has been for all time, not just ours. So how does the church, how does our church reflect that? Are we just a church which which over dominantly reflects the fact we're in England in the 21st century or are we more like the church back in the first century are we are we calling ourselves back to that universal are we are we open and friendly for all nations for all people or just for a specific group of people then apostolic the church is apostolic in that it is founded and faithful to the word of God as written through the apostles Jesus' original followers. John 17, again, sees Jesus pray for the disciples as people who will deliver God's message. It's a key value for us. The values you'll have heard us say, hopefully again and again, is prioritizing God's word. We teach the Bible as well as we can as God's word, not our own. And our prayer is that our teaching, whilst relevant now, relevant to now, will be the same teaching as, taught to the, as the apostles taught to the first churches. It's why we always want to ask when we preach, hopefully you see us in our method on this. What does the passage say? What did it mean in the first century? And only then, what does it mean for us? Apostolic. We're looking more at that next week as we look at the preaching of God's word. What is the church like? It is one. It is holy. It is universal. and It is apostolic. Finally, then, why do we gather? Maybe the key question is the one I trailed with at the start, one which maybe we've been forced to think about more than ever this last year. The question maybe you could ask one another. I've just realised now I've completely forgotten to do any discussion questions for later. I'll do them in the break in between, but this is a good question. Why do you come to church? Why do you come to church? What have you missed about it being online? I'm not saying that God has not been able to work magnificently whilst online. Of course he has. But there has been a lacking as we've not physically been able to be together, to sing together, to encourage one another together in the same way. As I said at the start, here's the definition I've used of why the church gathers, which encapsulates that. We meet for his glory, for our good, before the watching world. 
A church that doesn't meet is not a church. Ecclesia, as I said, the word Jesus used, assembly, implies the churches are people who gather, who are called out of a place to assemble. A church is more than a gathering, but nevertheless, we're still church during the week when we're scattered around Vista and our workplaces, but we're only the church during the week because we gather together. It's why within our membership document, the first expectation of being a member is regularly attending Sunday gatherings. The Bible describes us as bricks in a building, members of a family, sheep in a flock, priests in a priesthood. We need to be part of a body together. I need to be part of a body. Isolating myself from the body is to my detriment. One way to not do that right now, and one thing we've encouraged members to do, and we would encourage you again tonight in this weird COVID time, whilst we can't see each other in the same way, is to stay behind on Zoom for discussion and chat, to encourage one another together. Not for our own sake necessarily, Maybe you just don't feel like it. Go, I'm not trying to get anything out of it, but for the encouragement of others. It's obviously a temptation to isolate ourselves, to not prioritise gathering, because God's word itself exhorts us to Hebrews 10. The writer of Hebrews says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. It's obviously a temptation. Friends, as life opens up, as friends and family get in touch saying, let's meet. Brilliant. Do that. But prioritise gathering with the local church the Lord has given you. 4 p.m. is a wonderfully convenient time in some ways when we get back to the normal time. You can go away for the weekend or the day and be back. Please do. I know for some as well, on the other hand, being with many people can be tricky. Family circumstances may make it difficult and we pray but it will continue to be possible for you to regularly gather, that you'll prioritise it, you'll work that into how on earth you manage to do that. You'll pray yourself that you will feel able to do that, that you'll experience God's real help in what can be really tough if, if maybe you struggle to gather with other people and you're really anxious or worried about it as we go back. But friends, please hear that exhortation. Do prioritise gathering God's people. As I said, we gather through his glory. Praise is the natural response of those who have been saved. In Acts, we see the early Christians praising God as they met. We, we no longer offer sacrifices in the temple like in the Old Testament, but instead, as God's temple, we offer a sacrifice of praise, as Hebrews 13 says. Together as an assembled church, we praise because God is worthy of it. How many Psalms flick through them call us to declare joyfully our praise for God? Joyfully because as John Piper reminds us, God is most glorified when we're most satisfied in him. As we gather for his glory, as we praise him, a healthy church will love to praise God and give him all the glory. Matt Merker, in this very helpful book called Corporate Worship, uh, says this. He says, corporate worship should mould a congregation into a people more and more ravished by the beauty of God. In Paul here in Ephesians 3, preaching the boundless riches of christ ravished by the beauty of god each sunday meeting reorientate reorientates a congregation's spiritual compass we gather and god sets our wayward course back to where it needs to be towards himself we gather for his glory we gather for one another and our good we've seen this before as we've seen we're a body i have a really good friend um, also called jonathan uh, i used to live with him and each saturday evening when we lived together, he would sit down with a sheet of A4 before church and pray through it as he filled it in. I'm trying to get hold of the, the template from him at the moment. On the A4 sheet, there was a few things. He wrote down the passage 
that we were looking at if he knew it and he would prayerfully read through it and pray for the preacher the next day wonderful then he had a few columns which challenged me greatly and always have he had a few and he's he's a proper introvert this guy really didn't find it easy and natural to connect with people in some ways but he was convinced about the need to encourage and exhort another in the church he said this who will i speak to today who i wouldn't usually who can i sit next to who is new or often on their own he wouldn't always write it down he'd pray this through what words of encouragement can i give to people today these questions were utterly self-sacrificial. He wasn't going to church just for his own benefit. What am I going to get out of it? But for the encouragement of others, it's a real challenge to me. Matt Merker again says this, just as the sight of his bride makes the groom's heart swell with love, church members should overflow with affection for one another when they behold the assembly. This is the people whom Jesus bought with his own blood. This is the people who have committed to care for me put up with my faults and point me to Christ again and again. Oh, church, that would be what we're like. Finally, we gather before the watching world. We've seen this in Ephesians 3. We had it read earlier. It says God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. As we saw earlier, Jesus said that by our love for one another, the world will see him and know him. One of our core values is caring for church family. And as we live that out with friends who don't yet know Jesus watching on, whether through being invited to a Sunday gathering or seeing us share life as we hang out with them, the world will see God through the unity and love of his church. It will. It says he will, but he works us by his spirit. One of the main ways we will reach Bister and beyond, another one of our values, will be through our love as church family being exposed to those looking in. As they see a bizarre mix of people who could only be there because God has gathered them. And ultimately, that is the truth. God gathers his people to show off his glory, to bring people to know him. It's the one reason we say and we encourage you to invite friends who don't yet know Jesus to church on a Sunday. In some ways, it will be really odd singing alongside others, observing communion, listening to someone speak from a book. But God tells us that this is a primary way he shows himself off and brings people to know and trust in him. Why do we gather for his glory, for our good and before the watching world? And as I said, ultimately, we gather because he gathers us. God will gather his people for his glory. We become a gathering, a church, because God draws us together. He is the one who makes us a body. He is the one who brings the body together every Sunday. He is the one who makes it possible in the first place for us to worship him as he saves us. So what does that mean? Many things, but it means that because we gather at God's initiative, it means we gather to receive his blessing. Whilst it's true that as we gather, we bring our praise and our worship and our obedience, it begins first with hearing and receiving. We gather as needy, hungry children in utter dependence on our all sufficient father. And as we meet God comforts. He convicts, he equips, he feeds, he sanctifies, he speaks, he sustains. As Sunday looms and our week comes to an end, I wonder, have you ever thirsted for the replenishing waters of God's goodness in the Sunday gathering? That's the way it's supposed to be. It was wonderful to hear people delighting our time together, weird as it was. God assembles us to give us what we most need. Christ His son. What a joy and a privilege to meet together as God's people. That is the beauty of the church. That is why we gather. Let me pray.
For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.